to Marist Connections, a podcast produced by the Alumni Office, which highlights members of the Marist family, including our alumni, students, faculty, staff, coaches, and many more. Hi, everyone. My name is Amanda Benton. I'm the Assistant Director of Alumni Relations at Marist and a graduate from the class of 2011. This is our fourth season of Marist Connections, and this season we're bringing you stories of alumni and faculty authors and their experiences with both writing and getting published. Today's guest is Perry. Welcome, Perry. Welcome, thank you. So Perry Farood is the author of the True Life novel, The Gates of Light, published in May 2015. She received her bachelor's from Vassar in 1980 and her MPA in nonprofit management from Marist in 2015. She started her professional career working in the U.S. House of Representatives for Congressman Hamilton Fish Jr. of New York and has worked on multiple New York State legislature and congressional campaigns. Perry is currently the Executive Director of Miles of Hope Breast Cancer Foundation, a position she's held since its inception in 2004. In this role, she handles all administrative aspects of the foundation, including fundraising, public relations and media, and review and research of grant applications. She's also a voiceover talent for radio and television commercials and industry films, and serves on various nonprofit boards of directors in Connecticut and New York. Her book, The Gates of Light, starts in Washington, D.C. in 1984. While Perry is working as press secretary for Congressman Hamilton Fish, Jr., Perry gets a phone call from her father and discovers her 17-year-old Iranian cousin has been drafted during the Iran-Iraq War. He must flee from Iran or face an almost certain death. Joining a cast of international characters that include Pakistani black market passport dealers, members of Francois Mitterrand's inner political sanctum, influential committee members on Capitol Hill, and INS agents here in the United States, Perry uses her ties in Washington to help extricate her young cousin, whom she has not seen in over 14 years. Thank you for joining us, Perry. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So before we jump into your book, The Gates of Light, how have you been dealing with the last year and a half or so with the pandemic? Yeah, it's been very interesting in the not-for-profit world. Very, very interesting. Obviously, uh, it's been a tough time raising money. All of the events that we usually use in, in this sector of the world um, have been uh, canceled. We went virtual last year with our biggest fundraising event and we did uh, we did fine. So, you know, I think good. sponsors and people, you know, they got it. I think people are sort of Zoom weary, quite honestly. But, um, but you know, it, in terms of working remotely, that was a pleasure. I will tell you that my daughter, my 30-year-old daughter and son-in-law uh, who were in Manhattan moved here into my house with me for a year. So <laughs> that was wonderful. I loved it. Good, uh, good. Her dog, it was great. And um, so, you know, you just, you'd make do, you make it work. And, um, but uh, I've been vaccinated certainly. And i um, I'm still wearing a mask. I think that's very important. I think it's important that everyone get a vaccine and um, then we will be, uh, we'll see the end of this. Yeah, slowly climbing our way back into pre-pandemic normal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the focus of our podcast today is your book and writing. Um, it's obviously a personal story. When did you, when and how did you decide to put your family's story down in writing? Yeah, so I will tell you that um, when I moved up back up to the Hudson Valley after going to college here, you mentioned at Vassar, uh, I moved back up here to get married and have a family. Um, I started 
writing about Washington because quite honestly, I missed it so much. And so I can honestly say that I probably started writing uh, that, that first chapter about a congressional office in the 90s. Okay. Um, and then, you know, things happened. You have children and you have a family and, and things get pushed aside. But I always thought about writing this story. I thought it was such a compelling story because quite honestly, you have, you know, there I was in Washington, D.C., working for Congressman Hamilton Fish, the ranking minority member of the House Judiciary Committee, ranking minority member of the Immigration Subcommittee. We were writing immigration legislation at that point in time. I wasn't personally because I wasn't an attorney, but, but we were crafting it. And I was the press secretary, so I was helping to promote it and, and uh, get it out there. And at the exact same time, I got a call from my father saying, you have to help your cousin escape from Iran. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, immigration on a policy level, immigration on a personal level. It just felt like such a wonderful parallel. And then, uh, and I'll, I'll read a little excerpt of the, the beginning in a bit, but I will tell you that my daughter was in college, you know, skip ahead many years. My daughter's in college and says, I want to take Farsi. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, really? You know, what's, how do I feel about being half Persian? You know, Iran was at the time and still is, you know, the sort of, quote, enemy of our country, unquote, although I'm, I'm delighted to say right now in, in April of 2021, they're back at the negotiating table, uh, I just was reading. Um, but this, you know, this is, this is almost an invitation to explore my my being, my who I, my identity, I guess is the best way to put that. And uh, I embraced it. I thought, you know, now my kids are grown and uh, they, one, one was in college. I think both were in college at that point. And I can really explore and think and write. And that's when I really started to, uh, to put the book down. Yeah, it's a really, really cool that you have both the political and the personal. Did you have to rely a lot on your experiences as press secretary and able, being able to write this book? I mean, obviously not just the writing itself, but those experiences in Washington, D.C., were those front of your mind as you were putting this together? It was basically the 80s. It was fabulous. Um, I had interned for Congressman Fish when I was in, was on, when I was at Vassar, so they offered me a full-time job when I graduated. So I zipped right down to Washington after I graduated and spent the next 10 years. Um, I started as a legislative aide and then I, I worked myself up to press secretary, which they only call press secretary now in the White House. On the Hill, they call it communications director. So uh, it's a little bit different, but um, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I mean, you got to the office at eight and you were lucky if you got out of there at eight at night. Um, there was always something happening. You know, nowadays, when I say that, I look at especially a young audience like a Marist student audience or uh, even young alumni, and they look at me very skeptically, like, wait, the Hill is a fun place to be. It's that divisive, you know, uh, dreadful place where everybody's fighting and disagreeing. I will tell you, it was less so in the 80s, it was during the Reagan years. Um, we certainly had a lot of divisiveness. I was in a Republican office. We were in the minority in the House. And obviously the White House was, was Republican, minority in the Senate. Um, but 
there was a group toward the middle that were moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats that agreed and, and things got done because of that. And I, I don't see that today and it makes me sad, certainly. But um, for me as a 20 something year old, 20 starting in, at 21 years of age, to work on the Hill, it was the most exciting place. Um, and I was thrilled to be there. And I think a big part of the book, at least for me, was sort of decanting a congressional office. You know, what's it really like? And, um, you know, what's it like to work there? Because I know a lot of young people think, oh, I'm going to Washington after college or whatever. And uh, I wanted to give that, uh, that information, that impression, um, especially from my my twenty year old self. That's wonderful. So on the other side of it, you obviously tell your your political journey, your experiences as a job, but you're also writing about your your family and people you know in real life with true experiences. Um, is there a lot of research that goes into it? Was your family willing to answer questions, or was this more your own account, or how much were other people involved as you had to put this down on paper? Well, I could go on for about an hour and a half on that uh, with that question, but I'm going to try and be brief. Um, I will tell you that um, when my father read this book, he cried. Um, when my cousin read the book, the one who we got out of Iran, he said, please do not publish this. They're going to come find me. Um, I will tell you that writing down this story was like having a baby. It was, it, this story needed to come out of me, not just the personal, what's it like being, you know, the daughter of, of a first generation uh, American, being a first generation on my father's side, but also, you know, exploring the, um, just all the aspects of my growing up, my father's influence, you know, other immigrants, what's it like for other children of immigrants? You know, interestingly enough, my father was from Iran and people look at me and say, wait, you're kidding, right? Because my mother, as you can see in the book, because uh, there are some photos that the, my publisher made me put in there, um, my mother's blonde and blue eyed from Philadelphia. So I'm a real melting pot um, example. And um, in fact, her mother, you know, goes back to the 1700s, her people went back to the 1700s. So I think my point, one of the points I try to make in the book is that this is who we are as Americans. You know, we're not immigrants or people who've been here forever. We are a mix of all kinds of things. And that's what makes us strong and diverse and interesting and, and you know, able to be as successful as we are as a country. And I, I really wanted to embrace the idea that, um, that immigrants, you know, through my personal story, that the immigrant story is, is a happy one and a good one and uh, something that we should embrace. Do you think those experiences growing up, you know, the daughter of an immigrant on your father's side, but you said your mother's family had been here for kind of centuries. Did that influence your decisions and interest in politics early on? Was that something you always wanted to do or? I did. I did always want to do that. I wonder why. That's such an interesting question. I have been fascinated by politics since the beginning. I was a political science major at Vassar. I, um, you know, coming into from high school, um, 
you know, I, I held all those offices in, uh, in high school and class president and student council and all that kind of thing, because um, I think quite honestly, it's harkens back to a love of early American history and how we were able to accomplish what we were able to accomplish in, you know, the founding of America. I, I've always thought that that was just impressive. And, uh, and I've always uh, loved that period in history. And I think that made for a love of, of politics in general. Now, as someone who has that love for history and politics and has probably read a number of works in those genres, do you consider your book to be more of a memoir, a historical narrative, um, a political commentary? Like what genre do you kind of see Gates of Light falling in? All of the above. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's interesting because after I wrote the book um, and it was being edited and my publisher said, we don't know what this, what category this falls into, you know, what do you think? And they literally invented the um, sort of true life novel because um, it is, it's a little bit of everything. It's certainly a memoir. It's certainly based on my, my childhood and my, my, uh, my life. Um, but it's also a bit of a commentary on immigration, a bit of a commentary on congressional offices in, in Washington, D.C. As you know, I, I um, do a little bit of uh, exploration of the Mitterrand white, uh, French uh, dynasty. And, um, you know, all of that, I felt like um, I wanted to pull into this book. You know, at one point, I know that I'm not sure I understood sort of Islam and um, that religion, uh, Persian history, as opposed to Arabic history, which is different. Uh, and I wanted to describe that. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because, you know, what the average American knows about Iran is that um, they're trying to bomb Israel or they're trying to develop nuclear weapons. Nobody knows that, you know, it's one of the first civilizations and they, you know, invented mathematics and science and, and that they were a peaceful, lovely people who culturally are rich and interesting. And, you know, um, that's sort of gets lost in the, the present day um, horror of the, the, the current, current events. And, um, so I really wanted to talk about that and, and uh, not to dwell on it, not to be pedantic, but to say, look, this is, this is how Islam started. And, you know, two whole paragraphs on that. And this is why, you know, the Shah was overthrown and, you know, that kind of thing. But to do it in a, a very story-like way that was palatable to most readers. Yeah, a way that makes it accessible and right. interesting so that it's not just like a history lesson, but oh, yeah. it's, you know, join me on this journey in learning about this rich, beautiful culture that has existed for thousands of years. I think that's really special. Exactly. So switching topics a little bit, I'm interested in how you selected the title, uh, The Gates of Light. Is that something physical? Is that metaphorical? What does that represent for you? It's a line from a poem. Okay. So uh, the poem, the poem is called Paradise and the Peri. <clears throat> and it's actually spelled P-E-R-I because it's a more common spelling of my name. 
the Persians, the Iranians are the only one who spell it P-A-R-I, and it means fairy. Um, it's the best sort of translation is, is fairy. And the poem is about a fairy trying to get into heaven. And she has three chances and she goes to the gates of light, which is heaven. And she asks the angel there, you know, can I come in? And, and the angel says, bring the gift that is most precious to God and you will be able to, to come into the gates of light. And so she goes away and she gets, um, a, a, finds a, uh, on her journey to, to find the most precious gift to God, she finds a drop of blood from a true patriot and brings it back. And he says, that's wonderful, but that's not it. And she goes away again and she finds a tear from this selfless sacrifice um, of a, a beloved person, uh, who dies for someone else, um, a, a, a lover. And she brings back that tear and, the, and the, um, the angel says, yeah, that's great, but that's not it. And then she goes out again, of course, because thirds, third time's always a charm in literature. Yeah. Uh, and she finds the um, repentant um, sigh of a repentant sinner. And this is the gift most precious to God. Is, is when the repentant sinner then sees the error of his ways and uh, it, it renounces his past uh, bad actions and embraces good, uh, good actions and, and God or whatever. And she brings this to the, fair, uh, to the angel and the angel, and she is admitted to the gates of light. So that's the poem, that's the literal poem, it's in the book. Yeah. Um, I, I not only, um, and it's a third piece of actually a bigger poem, but it, it's in the book and I explain it uh, as well so that it doesn't feel like obscure sort of uh, rhetoric or prose or whatever. And um, it's also a metaphor for um, finding oneself, I'll say. I think a lot of this book was about um, reaching a sort of uh, a conclusion, I'll call it. So for me, it was finding who I, you know, being comfortable with who I am. Uh, Perry Farood is a very Persian name. You know, with the minute somebody hears it, they say, ah, what kind of name is that? And as you know, uh, from the book in the early 80s, when the hostages were still, you know, in Iran, the, the, the American embassy hostages, when I got to Washington, I didn't want to admit that the name was Persian. I didn't want to admit that I had anything to do with Iran. So in this journey, I needed to become comfortable with being half Persian and all of the wonderful things that that brought to me as a person, but also all of the, um, I had to reconcile, you know, what the bad, the bad was as well. And then for my cousin, it was finding home. Gates of Light represented that end, you know, that he was able to finally, you know, re resolve his situation. I don't want to give anything away in the book, but, you know, and find home. And then for my dad, you know, quite honestly, coming to America in the 40s, he went to Columbia University in New York, met my mother there who was at Barnard. Being American was the best thing ever. You know, people, people will say to me, if I meet Persians and they speak a little Farsi to me, I say, oh dear, I don't speak a word. And that's because my father was like, had no interest in us being, you know, learning Farsi or, or speaking it. 
he just wanted, he, we corrected his English. We were just the most American uh, family and he just, that was what he wanted to be. Yeah, that's great. And it seems almost like the act of writing the book was almost parallel to that for you, right? Like the end of this kind of like acceptance and this is a part of who I am and I've written it and now I'm sharing that with everybody else as Exactly. Well. And, you know, honestly, there are so many people in my situation who are first generation on both sides and first generation on one side. I had an interesting experience where um, my sister is the director of women's tennis at Stanford University and a former touring pro. And um, so her team, I always used to talk to her team because interestingly enough, it was filled throughout the years and she's been doing it for 20 years. Throughout the years, her players have been first generation or first generation on one side of their family, many uh, from China, India, uh, you know, that part of the world, Indonesia, um, England, France, you name it. Um, and, and now Americans, and I always thought, you know, how do you feel being, you know, the first generation, your parents are Chinese, I've met them, they are wonderful, but I'm not sure they understood anything I said. How do you feel as a Stanford University student tennis player, you know, uh, as, as someone um, with this background? And I found that, that everyone wants to raise portions of their culture and their ancestry and yet be American all at the same time and be accepted all at the same time. And I think even right now here in 2021, we're, we're dealing with this and um, it's something we need to reconcile ourselves to that, that people of all nationalities, you know, whether they're first generation or 10th generation are gonna make this country bright and strong and, uh, and interesting, and, and we need to, to recognize that. Absolutely. So you've mentioned some of these people that you've interacted with. What kind of doors or experiences has writing this book opened for you? Like the people you've gotten to meet or places you've gotten to go? Well, there's nothing more wonderful than, you know, being recognized. And um, I was, I can't remember, I was somewhere and someone said, you know, I gave my name and they said, oh, are you the author? And I thought, yes, I am the author. Oh my gosh. Just thrilling. Absolutely thrilling. I will tell you that doing a, I did a little book tour in sort of Northern California and um, that's just wonderful. Just reading excerpts of the book, talking about it. I've spoken to groups, everything from, you know, rotary clubs to libraries to, um, Persian American groups. Um, and what's so interesting to me is when people come up after, you know, they ask fascinating questions, but when they come up to the table after and I'm signing their book and they have one-on-one -on -one with me, invariably every single one of them says, my grandmother was from so-and-so or my father was from so-and-so and your book really resonates with me because, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it really said to me that, um, you know, we're all, we're all pretty similar, quite honestly, in this country. And what a wonderful thing to, uh, to recognize and be able to say. So uh, as American as I feel, and I feel 100% American, born in San Francisco and raised in Westchester County, New York and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I mean, you know, so American. I, along with these people, recognize that 
there is an influence in us from somewhere else that will make us rich and interesting. No, that's wonderful. So now that you have this experience, have you caught like the writing bug? Do you want to write something else, more books? Or was this kind of a, this was my story and it's out there and I'm satisfied or what are your plans? Oh no, book number two is being published. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, you're so nice. And um, it's, it's, I don't want to sort of muddy the waters here, but because uh, right. we could talk about it, you know, after it comes out. But it's also based on a personal experience. And I think um, if, if you had to, you know, you're talking about what genre the book is. And if I had a style, it is to incorporate a wonderful story with a period of history and be able to explain to people in a very um, palatable way about a period in history. And I will tell you, I will divulge that um, the, uh, my next book is set during, in the early 80s during the um, solidarity movement in Poland when the um, dock workers were striking and how that helped to bring about the end of communism. And um, so I've, that's a fascinating period of history for me too. And I happened to be in Poland at that time. Uh, and so it's a, a story about, uh, about a very personal story, uh, a wonderful, very personal story, but tying in the, uh, the cultural and the political uh, situation at the time. No, that's great. It's very exciting that uh, you're going to be putting out another one. So now that you've written the first one and you're writing the second one, what advice do you have for other people who, whether they're current students, alumni, who want to write, whether it's their first book or get published or things along those lines? Are you doing anything different this time than you did the first time? Um, not really. I think quite honestly, because of the pandemic, a lot of people who are stuck at home wrote books. So I think there is a flood of, of books on the market right now, especially nonfiction, which is, is nice because for anybody writing fiction, um, it's still, I think there's still an opportunity. Um, I have to tell you, I will be very honest and tell you that it is tough getting something published. It is tough getting an agent, a literary agent. Um, they're looking for new and different and, you know, um, just, you never know what they're looking for, quite honestly. So I guess my advice would be just keep plugging away. I know um, when I received all those rejection letters, which I did before, before getting uh, the Gates of Light published, um, many of the rejection letters came with a whole sort of paragraph in an email or a letter or whatever saying, look, this is not the end of your project. This is a stumble or it's a, it's a, a you know, uh, something that should make you stronger and continue to, to find an outlet for your book. So don't see it as, you know, something to, to make you quit or whatever. Just keep plugging away and I'm sure I'm sure it'll end up successfully. That's great. And I think that's a really positive note to kind of end the interview portion of this with. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to have you read us a short excerpt from your book, just a paragraph or two, whatever fits. So, And I'm, I'm just going to start 
probably at the beginning um, because um, I would have to sort of set up something uh, if, if I dove into the middle. All right, the introduction. I come from tea. This is the first line of a poem written by my daughter when she was in the sixth grade. I know why she wrote it. Each and every morning and each and every afternoon, my father drinks tea. A psalm in the morning, Darjeeling in the afternoon, and most often with dried fruit. Figs, apricots, raisins, dates, whatever is available. When Persians get together, they drink tea, always in a glass. My two daughters drink tea, I drink tea, my sisters drink tea. I had a brief flirtation with coffee in college, and when in Italy, I can't wait to have a cappuccino, but we are tea people probably because we come from tea. When you make tea, you place loose tea leaves into a receptacle and pour boiling water over them. The leaves rise to the top as individual elements separate and apart until after three or four minutes, they settle to the depths, heaped and saturated, and you are rewarded for your patience with a drink that is at once calming and reviving, neutral enough to want any time and yet distinctive enough to eclipse all comparison with water. Initially separate and apart, only to join together to become one in a complete and satisfying ending. And that is what we are, a nation separate and apart, individuals streaming forth from different fonts, only to land on common ground and congeal and unify. That is the experiment we are all a part of with the end result still unknown. I too am a part of this experiment with my interesting background and reflective nature. And I was pulled into a forced reconciliation with my past rather suddenly with a phone call. In a stunning statement declared by my daughter as she was putting together the course schedule for her last semester of college, she told me that she wanted to study Farsi. I couldn't imagine why, as the only places she could speak it would be Iran, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, and Los Angeles, California. But she persisted despite my misgivings as usual and said she wanted to take it because she is part Persian. Well, I'm an even bigger part Persian and I have no desire to speak Farsi, I told her. And I've never understood that, she said. How can you have a name like Perry Farood and not want to speak the language of the place where that name comes from? I could feel her smile. Every part of what makes her different and unique is welcome to her. In fact, she looks more Persian than I do. For some reason, the genes for dark hair and eyes and eyelashes jumped right over me, ignored her father, and landed on her face. She continued, I think it would make Pop Pop proud. I want to see his expression when I speak Farsi to him. Yes, I would like to see that too. I knew it would conjure up some emotions that my father had buried for so long. I don't remember him ever being proud of his homeland. He was too busy being proud of being America, being American and his American family. And yet, when he took my sisters and me to Iran when we were young, he showed us Tehran and the countryside all the way to the Caspian Sea with pleasure and a certain sense of pride. We met relatives we didn't know we had, and since only a few spoke English, we just smiled and hugged and tried to blend in at the endless parties they gave in our honor. I am going to skip and say, Harvard sociologist Horace Kalin wrote, fulfillment in life is a function of cultural identity, that cultural identity is a function of ethnicity and that ethnicity, ethnicity is immutable. 
He went on to say that racial ancestry is the one unalterable constituent of selfhood and the happiness people pursue in their lives has its form implied in ancestral endowment. In other words, know yourself and your provenance and forever be whole. And that is why this story must be told for everyone who missed the Mayflower or wondered if they were burdened or graced by their heritage. This is the story of a journey from ignorance to enlightenment, from dissolution to inspiration and from restlessness to peace. And That's then beautiful. it tells the story, right. And then it goes into my story, my cousin's story, my dad's story. Absolutely, absolutely. And you certainly have a knack for writing. Thank you. All right, so I'm just going to close this out. Thank you once again for taking the time out of your schedule uh, to join us today, Perry. Um, for those listening, we hope you'll join us again next week as we continue our series highlighting Red Fox authors. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can keep in touch and know every time we post a new episode of Marist Connections. We will continue to bring you conversations with alumni as well as students, faculty, staff, coaches, and others essential to our Marist community. If you have suggestions for future podcast themes or guests, please email maristalumni at marist.edu. Be sure to also check out Marist Alumni on Facebook and official Marist Alumni on Instagram. Have a wonderful day, everyone.